Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about Chapter 5, uh, People Managing Labor and Retraining the Workforce. Hey, Tom, glad to have you back here. Thanks, Karen. Hey, so this is a very exciting chapter and very topical. And I want to just start at the top. So big question posed in this chapter, do you need a college education? This, I mean, this is people, these are very heated debates. And I'm glad you guys decided, I'm glad that you actually wrote about this in the book. Yeah, I, I, I think the business case for a college degree is, is rapidly eroding. Yeah. For a couple of reasons. <laughs> One is too many people are going to college and majoring in things that they may find interesting or easy to get a degree, but it's not worth the money. So I can go to the XYZ private school and pay a quarter of a million dollars, right? Over yeah. four years. I, I know. I'm just listening to this and I'm just thinking And I'm going to how... major in Hungarian poetry. Yeah. Now, if you're interested in Hungarian poetry, knock yourself out. I'd argue go get a library card and go read about it, but you're going to spend a quarter of a million dollars and go to this and defer your income for four years and come out with a boatload of student debt. Unless you're wealthy and you pay for, you know, some people do that. Too many people are coming out with student debt. The student debt levels in this country are over a trillion dollars. It's exploding rapidly and you cannot discharge this debt in bankruptcy. This will follow you around forever. Now there's a lot of talk about sunsetting that. I don't think that's gonna happen in the short term and I wouldn't plan on it. It might, but. Right. So, you're going to saddle yourself with a, a, a burden that could last you to your 30, 40, 50 years old. Why would you do that? The second thing is, when I say the business case is being undermined, even some of the best degrees mm -hmm. are lacking. Top 10 schools, top 20 no, no, schools. I, so, you know, I have a master's degree in systems engineering. Okay. So, and I, I uh, when I was doing my graduate work, I went to Rutgers. Yep. I uh, I went and just recently in the last couple of years went and met with some of the 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 deans that were in the engineering school that some of them are still there from when I was in graduate school and I talked to them about the notion that the graduates coming out of today's universities are not ready to work in the cutting edge of technology right they have to be hired by companies like say an IBM mm -hmm. or somebody like that and retrained or trained for about a year before they can really start to contribute. So think of like IBM, it's got IBM Watson, a lot of cool stuff around quantum computing and a lot of cutting edge stuff. That's not being taught in school. Yeah. So when they get in the workforce, they've got to go learn that. If it's a, something like UiPath we were talking about, they need to learn how that works specific. If I'm talking like Wipro, they have the Holmes platform, they've got top coder and things like that. They need to learn those things because that's what's being sold and being deployed in the marketplace. So in contrast to a four-year degree, I would say, think of a side-by-side -side comparison. A two-year degree that rounds off high school yep. in a two-year apprenticeship compared to a four-year school. Now, the four-year school is gonna be great for a lot of people, and I'm not saying that people should stop going, this isn't a binary thing, it's not an or. Right. It says that not everybody needs to go there when the route around a two and a two, and two, mm -hmm. two of community and two of apprenticeship, because here's the difference. 
I I go to a four-year school and it's a quarter of a million dollars. Maybe you can get a better, you can get a scholarship, you know, all those but income deferment, opportunity costs. It's a very expensive proposition to go to school. Two-year uh, school and plus two years of apprenticeship is essentially free. What's free about it? Well, the internships will underwrite the 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 two years. Right. Plus, you're making some money on the side, and when you walk out. You know, I'm familiar with some of the community colleges here that have these programs, and you come out with $100,000 a year job when you're 21. It's phenomenal. All right, so I come out of Hungarian poetry. I'm, what am I doing? I'm still living in my parents' basement, and I'm not making 100 grand if I even get a job. And so, and I have the student debt, and if I get a job making 100,000, I have to pay. Ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year in, in loan repatriation for however long that takes. So, look, I just think it's an alternative to this, and we see people being certificated. We have a couple guys on our team who went through certificate programs uh, with Automation Anywhere, mm -hmm. became certified programmers. Neither one of them were programmers; they were business school majors, and they learned the software. They learned how it, and they went through the program. Now, they can go. In the mar in the marketplace and sell those services because you you need to be certified to go do this and they don't care if you have a computer science degree yeah and it seems like the um, so at, at the university in the four year um, if you go down that path you're kind of locked into the curriculum that's available to you versus if you're you know if you have if you go down this apprenticeship path you can actually try different things hands on because. It seems like for college students, what you choose to major in in university isn't always what you end up doing in the real world. Yeah. And so it even because um, you've got a section here on re redefining how students learn. Yeah. And so the ability to be hands on earlier in life, I think, um, you know, is probably going to be much more um, beneficial to students. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a quote that I'll give you uh, around the the learning mm -hmm. that, that ties back to the apprenticeship program. And it is, to be told is not to know. And it has to do with, and you know this from you know grade school, like you're, you got a list of things to memorize. Right. And you'll memorize them and you pass the test, you get 100, great. But you don't really know. You forgot all that, right? Because... You were told, and you just went through a, a mechanization where you memorized it. But if I said, hey, memorize all 50 state capitals, you might be able to memorize that list and pass a test tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But you'll forget in a week or a month. And so it gets to the issue of to be told is not to know. What does that mean? To know implies experience. Mm -hmm. An apprenticeship is experience. So if I said that same 50 capital challenge, if you and I went on a road trip yep. one summer, uh, in a uh, in a hippie van, and visited all fifty state capitals, and had a great time. You would know the fifty state capitals for the rest of your life. Yeah, you would mm -hmm. know what they are, right? Because you experienced it. You weren't just told. Apprenticeships are about experiential learning, which has a tremendous benefit in the in the workplace today. Yeah. So people coming out of school have the book knowledge, which is they were told, but they don't know. And that's what the retraining happens. And if you're an IBM or a big company and you're hiring a, a top school graduate in, say, engineering or one of the STEM majors, 
you're going to pay $75,000 plus you're going to pay probably another all-in package of a hundred grand with training. And then at the end of this very expensive college education, an IBM is investing say $100,000 in your first year right? before you can really start contributing back to IBM. So the economics here are really not good. The people who are pushing these four-year degrees have a vested interest in it. Mm. And I would just simply say that people are starting to wise up because they see too many people around them burdened with these uh, tremendous student loans and they don't see the value for it. Now, again, I think there's plenty of places for the four-year degree for lots of people. But I just don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. I don't think it's for everybody. Yeah, I, I'm. I I completely agree. Um, I, I, I would. Uh, I, so I would do it differently. I mean, I. I yeah, I, I think I would have as well. Yeah, I mean, I. I it's easy. It's, people say, "Oh, it's easy for you to say you've got a master's degree and, uh, and all that stuff." That's true, but I would do it differently today. Um, again, you can even look at some of the marquee billionaires that are out there. A lot of them, this school got in the way. Yeah. And they they dropped out. So you pick people like Bill Gates. Uh, Zuckerberg, uh, even Steve Jobs, a lot of these guys, you know, they like school. You can see school is going to inhibit their their potential growth. And I see that. I meet I meet young guys who are entrepreneurial, and school kind of gets in their way. It's it's for them. It was a way to get exposure to things, and culturally, they just can't let go of. I need a four year degree. Yeah, it's a safety. I think it's a cultural safety norm that's been arbitrarily put in place. But. Look, if you want to play it safe, then play it safe. If you want to, yeah. if you want to be aggressive and have fun and be a distinguished outlier, then the distinguished outliers don't play don't play it safe. Yeah, I mean, they're Is much that true? more. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't accuse some of these guys who really made it the marquee success stories as people who played it safe. So I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I'm 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 on board. Um, I want to close out with, um, and we touched a little bit about about this on the last um, podcast we did for Chapter 4, but the coming wave of labor syndication. So the rise of the gig economy. Now, it seems like Fiverr, Upwork are actually great places where people can start doing these apprenticeships on the side. Yeah. So uh, we talked about Top Coder when we were talking about Chapter 4, but uh, I met a young student, a guy who worked at Wipro. Yeah. We were visiting one of their innovation centers out in Silicon Valley. And uh, he was a young guy. He's uh, low 20s, I guess, right? you know, new to the workforce. And he was a top coder. And he had done a lot of, in his, while he was in college, he was doing a lot of this technology gig work on top coder. And uh, I asked him why he did it. Mm. Now, because the way Top Coder works is it's a winner-take-all gamification of work. So these work challenges get put out on a platform, and anybody can go compete for them. And if you happen to win, you get paid. So you can go work on something, and you come in second, third, or fourth place. You don't get anything. It's winner-take-all. Take all. Wow. So I asked him, I said, well, so how did, why did you do this? And he said he did it to, to, to learn. And uh, he learned a bunch of things. And I said, at some point, I get that, but did you make any money? And he goes, not at first, but eventually I learned how to start making money. And and he ended up paying for his last year of college. 
in India, which India has a very different cost basis for college, so it's, mm-hmm. di- it's different. But he made enough money to support himself in his final year of school. And, but he said he learned, he just kept on page down, page down, he, and he went down to the areas of the gig opportunities where he could compete. Wow. Where mm-hmm. there was, and then once he got good at something, then he could move up. And he was, and he, and so you pick the the gigs you can win, and you work your mm-hmm. way up. The people who are winning the big the big challenges, making a lot of money, they are, um, uh, the they're the all stars. They didn't start out that way. It almost seems like an opportunity for um, companies to even do this, like in house. There's because mm-hmm. companies are always complaining about how much work there is. And I was like, and as you're describing this, like, why don't they just gamify work in-house and allow, allow employees to pick um, tasks or do projects that they might enjoy and get a bonus for it? Um, it seems like a better way versus just staffing employees who probably don't want to be working on some of the stuff yeah. they're working on. I agree. I mean, th- th- we, we talk about deploying those within environments today where you can clear out a backlog of work by allowing your employees to gig it out. Now, you, you know, a, a lot of the compensation models that exist in corporate America today have a, um, what I'll call it, a socialistic uh, model to them, meaning mm-hmm. that if I'm in a job group five, there's a salary range for that. And, I'm in the, and what we know from when we look at if say there's a hundred people in job group five, I know if I take the top twenty people in that group, they're doing most of the work. Mm. The bottom half of the people could not show up at work, and you wouldn't know that they weren't there. Mm. They don't. They contribute really nothing to the ecosystem. It's the top twenty, but the pay is spread around relatively evenly across the job group fives. Maybe this, someone gets a twenty percent increase, but it's relatively gated by HR rules salary and bonuses, all that stuff gets gated by that. And this new thing, it's a meritocracy. So if you're a slacker, you're in trouble. But if you're a performer, you can make a lot of money. So firms are gonna start to wise up to this because they realize this 80-20 rule. Right. That the top 20% are doing 80% of the work. It's, it's probably true in just about every environment. And one of the reasons why they outsource, by the way, is to get at that. Yeah. They can't, they're like, they, they know it, they can't figure it out, they can't deal with the HR implications of of dealing with the bottom slackers. So they outsource it and they just let somebody else do it. That's what we, we call that your mess for less, mm. right? Um, but today's, but, but you, you, you end up with a different mess with the outsourcing if you do that. Right. If you use uh, these digital labor models where you can start to, put platforms up and let people compete for work, which is a, a version of digital labor in a sense, uh, then I think you can take a little bit more control uh, and give opportunities for the people to do very well. You might find even people in your workforce who surprise you. Very neat. Um, and I want to just close out this chapter. Um, we talked about it a little bit in chapter four as well, but the concept of aptitude and attitude again. Um, so this is going to be the future model, I feel, with people because skill sets are one thing, but it's really your aptitude and attitude, yeah. as you describe, that's really going to propel people to be successful. If you, don't, uh, if you don't find any of this interesting, 
or you're not professionally interested in what's coming next for your particular profession, then you're likely to become the victim of this change. Mm. And you'll have to go pursue something completely different. But if you have a level of interest and are willing to work and study a little bit, so don't think, you know, a lot of times we have this paradigm, we were talking before about education, that it, it is, all right, I go to school for four years and then I go work for 40 years. Right. Right, well, all right. Uh, I would uh, take that and c completely mix that up and say, I should go work right away and learn the entire time. Yeah. I should, it should be part of my culture. Um, I should take time during the week. I should take time in my free time. And if it's fun, it's not work. Mm -hmm. If I'm pursuing things that I'm interested in. So like on the weekend, I might be reading about a cool technology. You know, we were, we were playing around with, uh, you know, some virtual reality stuff. Right. And understanding how that works. So we're talking about, um, we were looking at deep fakes and some of the generative adversarial networks and things like that. They're very complex technologies. But I'm reading about it. And if, you, if you're the ones reading about this stuff compared to your peers who are not, you're gonna to start to distinguish yourself mm. and to put it into a business application. So this is a, it's a great opportunity for people who are even mid-career is to sit there and, and to go study these things that are happening and then relate it back to where they live. And it's the melding of those two things that creates a unique expertise. If you happen to work in a medical field, you study a technology, you say, this applies to my medical field this way. You start to explore those possibilities. Now you are that expert. No one else. Wow. You are. Yeah. Great. Well, this has been awesome. Thanks Great. so much for your you time, Tom. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye.